The TV show is now available on Amazon, Running the Triple Crown. Ryan Clayton and I collaborated on this project. Six episodes, they're all available now on Amazon, so check that out if you get a chance. And then also, let's start off with just a brief top 10 that Training for Adventure has come up with. Alyssa Clark and I are collaborating on that project, and we'll let her do the intro here. We have all done the Google search, hardest ultramarathons in the world, or something similar, trying to find the next race to challenge us. We have also been underwhelmed by the results that are never really verifiable, but tend to be more nebulous and anecdotal. As we here at Training for Adventure begin to share articles, we have developed race course factors into a single race ranking score system. This is what we call our T4A score. These are both quantifiable, but also include other qualitative measures. Races change every year, so not only is it difficult to measure these in a single year, but conditions in courses are variable. Official race website stats can vary from actual stats, and we have used our best estimate within our system. The races we have included are races that have been run for at least one year and have at least one finisher per year. We have narrowed the range of 200-mile races to be between 185 and 290 miles. These are all single-stage races with semi-self-sufficiency. Top 10 Toughest Races on Earth Series, the 200-Miler Edition, by Alyssa Clark and Rob Steger. Here is our list of the 2020 Top 10 Hardest Continuous 200-Milers on the Planet. Number one, Tour de Jean. Number two, PTL. Number three, The Spine and Spine Fusion. Number four, Swiss Peaks Trail. Number five, Bigfoot 200. Number six, Moab 240. Number seven, The Munga. Number eight, Tahoe 200. Number nine, Delirious West 200. And number 10, Race Across Scotland. Right now, I'd say that my beers per day is still higher than my miles per day that I'm running. So, yeah. That is a the, great the core, measure. The Corey ratio. Yeah. <laughs> if we could just free ourselves of our perceived limitations and tap into our internal fire, the possibilities are endless. I'll tell you about it when it happened in the race, but to be honest with you, it happened even before the race. It happened in the training. A great cause. Oh, thanks, man. I respect that, man, so you keep doing what you do, it, man. Keep inspiring. Jam Jam, Jamel Curry here from Air Viper Running, and welcome to the Training for Ultra podcast. For all you kids out there, stay safe and stay strong. Hi, this is Alex Nichols. Uh, welcome to the Training for Ultra podcast. I was physically totally wrecked. I, I had nothing left. I figured... I might as well move as quickly as possible towards the finish line if I was going to be moving towards it anyways. How do you even do that? Decided if I could, you know, finish a 50 miler, I could probably run across the country. 100 miles is not that far. Hey, this is Carl Meltzer, the Speed Goat, and I want to welcome everybody to the Training for Ultra podcast.
Welcome to episode 140 of the Training for Ultra podcast. My name's Rob. I also go by Training for Ultra. We have a great episode. We're talking to Corey Waltering, fresh off a big FKT of the Ice Age Trail. He also takes a giant role in the new Eco Challenge on Amazon. Big thank you to Hammer Nutrition. If you haven't tried them out, feel free to use my referral code, promo code, 252888 to save 15% off your first order. I just tried out some Exoskin socks. They sent me some fresh ones. Oh my gosh. Uh, definitely check out Exoskin. Check out the show notes for a discount code. And I just, I forgot what a fresh pair of Exoskins feels like. I mean, I've had some since Moab 240 of 2018 that I still wear but nothing like getting a fresh pair. Uh, so big thanks to Croy for sending those out, but they got a bunch of different color options now. And I got some, it, it's weird to get excited about white socks because I haven't worn white running socks, I think basically ever, but check them out. They have just high quality all around gear. Big thank you to Kogala. I've gotten a lot of requests on what light do I recommend during just big efforts, 24 hours, 48 hours, multi-day type efforts? And Kogala is what I personally favor. I mean, it's kind of earth shattering when you put a Kogala light on a waist belt and you can move your head around during the nighttime. But the settings of that light can get so bright that it's kind of game changing. It, it changes your mental attitude at night. A lot of times and really helps you see on technical terrain. Can't recommend them enough. I'm thankful they're a sponsor for sure, but I would, it's hard to not use a Kogal light after you use that one, honestly. Big thank you to Destination Trail. They got a ton of races, virtual races. Um, listeners should definitely check out if you get a chance. Got those trademark belt buckles at stake. I think they have one of the longest virtual race is available. So I know there's been a lot of races canceled this year, but Destination Trail is continuing to put on some really cool virtual races. So check them out. Last but not least, Patreon supporters. Giant thank you to Brian Sands. He is now um, one of the the major sponsors within Patreon. Just huge, huge supporter. Richard Murray too. Both of those guys are just crushing it. I really, really appreciate them. And then still within this big shout out list, David, Brian, Meg, Landon, Pat, Joseph, Ray, Todd, and Matthew, you guys are in the shout out tier. I really, really appreciate you guys. And hopefully we can have you all on again, maybe have another Patreon kind of group chat here coming up soon. But Regardless, if you're donating a hundred dollars a month or a dollar a month, I mean, it's all going towards inspiring content for you guys. So I really, really appreciate you making this all possible and all work. I'm joined here by Corey Waltering. He is a North Face athlete and just has completed some unbelievable events this year. I've been really excited in the uh, buildup for this and and. Corey, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm also joined by Alyssa Clark. She's helping co-host today and appreciate you coming out. 
Oh, of course. Happy to be here. Um, before we start, sometimes I, I let people just give a shout out to their sponsors. Corey, do you want to mention your sponsors? I know you have a few. Yeah. Um, the North Face. Thank you. <laughs> I'm, not, um, I'm not familiar. I'm not familiar with them. <laughs> yeah, never heard of them, right? Um, Squirrels Nut Butter, uh, King Buddha CBD, and Darn Tough Vermont Socks. Awesome. God, I love Darn. I'm from Vermont, so I love Darn Tough. <laughs> They're yeah. a great company. Absolutely. So I just, I don't even know where to start because you have so many unbelievable races you've done, FKTs. I know I want to get to Eco Challenge stuff, but. Let's let's start with like a a light topical uh, conversation about speedos and how those have been incorporated in your running because it's it makes for a, a unique uh, race photo. I don't know. You mean everybody doesn't race in a speedo and a crop top? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe I've been yeah. racing a speedo the whole time and just threw shorts on and you know no yeah. no one knows. Um, <laughs> it, is it help your speed? Does it help? Uh, does it help your running? Does it chafe? Uh, it doesn't <laughs> chafe. So that is good. Um, but it's really funny. So in 2015, I was racing in Florida and I basically just forgot my racing shorts. And so, uh, I had like longer shorts with me and then I had, uh, a bunch of speedos with me because I figured I'd be going to the beach after, and so I was like, I just don't have shorts to race in today. And people are like, It's fine, just wear a speedo. It's Florida, no one cares. Like it's no big deal. So I did, and then I won the race, and the picture went like viral <laughs> on social media. Um, and then they're like, You do realize that now you always have to race in a speedo, <laughs> and, and that's just how. That became my thing. And so do you? Have you have you done a race without a Speedo at that point, like following that? Uh, um, I raced a couple times last year and early this year without the Speedo on, um, just because a lot of things I ended up doing last year were kind of like races trying to get back into shape. So I didn't want to like personally take them too seriously. Um and say, like, Speedos for, like, serious race mode. Yeah. I love that. So does North Face make you a custom Speedo? Not yet. Um, oh. I'm still waiting for one with pockets. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, I, I just like that you own it. I mean, you're such a unique part of the community. Yeah, well, obviously, thanks for having me here. And um, yeah, it is just funny. Like, I do own the speed. I'm like, that's my thing. You know, it just that became what it is. I love it. Yeah, seriously. Um, and so just working off of you being, you know, a unique part of the community. I mean, do you feel the commute, the ultra running community has changed with the whole covid lockdown and then a lot of the riots and everything else taking place do you feel like uh from your vantage point the ultra running community has become more supportive less supportive like more divided i don't know like because you you started your big ice age trail fkt kind of in the middle of it 
Um, yeah, so I actually started the FKT maybe like four days after the George Floyd incident. Um, and so just, well, overall, I'd say that I feel like the ultra community is um, still a pretty tight knit group of people. Um, yeah. And unf- and unfortunately, it's like we can't go to races and gather with, you know, 500 of our friends at this point. It's like everything we have to do is virtual or it's like FKTs and just or like really small events. And so I feel like things are changing because of that. But at least there are these, you know, uh, virtual events and stuff that can kind of still create a sense of community. I I totally agree. And it's. It's hard to get a real feel for any kind of change taking place because it's just face value social media stuff. You know, it's not those great conversations around a campfire or whatever. Um, hopefully not too too many conversations at the aid station in a chair suffering. <laughs> um, so it's going to be fun, too, though. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's tons of reasons why I reached out. I have so many topics I want to go into. Uh, you and I, Corey, pick very similar races. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but Eco Challenge at the forefront for me, at least, has always been a dream race. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna take a step back, and I mean, you you started as a track athlete, is that correct? Which yes, that is not my not my running background. That's for sure, and. And so you were excelling at track and, and then you decided to just try a longer distance. Is that correct? Or, or how did you discover your, your niche here? Um, yeah. So on the track as like a 200, 400, 800 meter runner through junior high and high school, um, in college as 400, 800, 1500, um, but also ran cross country. And so because of that, uh, I can't say that I necessarily loved cross country because for division three, it's eight, eight kilometers, I think. Um, and I just thought it was like the longest distance ever. So <laughs> I wasn't, yeah. yeah, like I didn't, I didn't like it. I couldn't run around a track. And so I just wasn't a fan of it, but, um, I got injured quite a bit through the end of high school and the start of college. And so I also had a swimming background and I found myself swimming a lot more. So I was like, you know, what? I'm just going to buy a bike. And I think I'm going to give triathlon a try. And by the time I was done with college, I had qualified for the half Ironman world championships twice. Wow. Um, wow. And so it was just one of those funny things where here I am still racing 400, 800, 1500 on the track and then racing half Ironman races in the summer and enjoying it. So I actually moved from Illinois out to Boulder to you know, chase the dream of becoming a professional triathlete. And at the same time, I started hanging out with some trail runners. And bad, in, comes bad like, influence, right? Yeah, like mistake number one. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> and so because of that, one of them was like, hey, you know, like, I need a pacer for the Leadville 100. Would you be interested in that? And just like, what is a Leadville 100? I'm like... He's like, oh, it's, and he's like, it's like, it's a hundred mile race in the mountains. And I'm like, why would anyone ever want to run a hundred miles through the mountains 
on trail. Like that sounds awful, but sure, you need a pacer, so I will I will do this for you. Um, and so we go to Leadville, and I just fell in love with the trails there, and just like being up high and all of that. And so I basically decided that day that I was going to quit triathlon and start um, focusing on running again. That's, and, that's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. What, what segment did it for you here? Did, um, did, so you, I, did you crew the whole race or did you just come in for latter half and close them out? Yeah. Or So I crewed for the whole race, but then I paced from uh, Winfield to Twin Lakes. Nice. Um, and so just that section of going over Hope Pass was pretty awesome. And I'm like, yeah, I could get used to this. That's um, that's the part that makes or breaks that race. Has, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And so the really funny part about this, though, is so Leadville was like, I think, three weeks before Worlds for the Half Ironman that year. And so I paced Leadville, then I raced Worlds, and I was like, all right, I'm completely done with triathlon. Like, I flew, I flew there and then just like when i got back didn't even take my bike out of the bike box i'm like i'm never gonna touch this thing again i don't need it i'm gonna focus on running so three weeks after that i ran my first marathon just to uh just to see what a marathon felt like and i just fell in love with it and then it's like well if i like a marathon maybe i can go farther maybe i can go you know faster and then you know, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you think that sprinter mindset that you had translated into doing longer distances? Because it really is a much different medium of running. Um, how did you kind of find that transition and find the mental fortitude in a different way? Yeah. Um, so it's interesting when it comes to running because say you know for 400 meters i was running about 50 seconds 49 seconds for 400 meters and so like that's just like less than a minute of just hurt like it it hurts like 49 seconds in 49 seconds i used to be decently quick my gosh (laughs) humble too (laughs) wait is that wait a minute 40 no my god (laughs) yeah so um like but it hurts but you know you're fine, you know, 15 minutes later or whatever. Whereas when it came to the longer stuff, and I think this is probably my problem in cross country, I just didn't like the fact that, you know, maybe your first couple miles feel good and then you have a longer distance to just hurt. Um, and now that I look back on it, I think that's extremely funny. Um, but <laughs> it's like, I don't know. I've, I just had to, I really don't know. Because with the swimming and the cycling in there, I could do anywhere from 6,000 to 10,000 yards of swimming at a time and be totally fine with that. And I could also go out and ride the bike for like four or five hours and not have a problem with that. But when it came to running, I just didn't want to run that long. That's so funny. <laughs> That's interesting. I mean, tell me more about Leadville and, and how you fell in love with probably the hardest trails you can run in terms of altitude and I don't know, like certain, certain races there, like, you know, get super techy. You have ankle roll possibilities, every other footstep. Um, what, what drew you to Leadville? Was it the difficulty or, or what was it? 
Yeah, I think it was just, it was extremely beautiful when you drive into town, but then being out on the trail and being up that high and just being able to like look around and see everything was extremely awesome. And it was awesome enough that I actually moved from Boulder to Leadville in December that year. Nice. And I, I mean, I see just ultra sign up like you did. It looks like the marathon and then Silver Rush. Doing Silver Rush in 735 is, again, like my brain explodes trying to understand. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sure the lack of oxygen doing it that quick, your brain was exploding too, but... Absolutely. Dude, you you were just running track like a few years ago. What? And, and you throw down at a 50 miler at, you know, in some of the most difficult conditions. How How... How did you do that? How did your training progress that rapidly for, was it uh, living there? and It was, it was a rough go. Um, so I had to take about two months off December and January that year because I got mono after moving to Boulder and just trying to train extremely hard and race way too much. Um, got mono. So then I took two months off and then had to basically start running from scratch. Um, and so like starting to train again while living in Leadville is not necessarily the easiest thing to be motivated to do, especially in the middle of winter there. Um, but yeah, we just slowly built miles back up and, um, I actually wanted to try to run an Olympic trials qualifying standard for the marathon that fall, but, um, I don't know. I just got swept up in all of the trail racing in the summer and I was like, here we go. And so I signed up for silver rush the day before. Um, and like I had, I honestly did not plan on racing it. And then like, I just saw everybody at packet pickup and I'm like, I, I want to be part of this. <laughs> and so I signed up. I mean, what's, what's driving you to go after such big races and be so ambitious within endurance? I mean, you easily could be, you could be working a, a regular job and, you know, having okay races, being front of the pack easily. What's driving you throughout this? Yeah, just uh, just the exploration of the unknown. Um, I really enjoy just pushing my mind and pushing my body to have to just do something that I've never done before. Um, and I think it's fun. And I mean, it's not always going to be successful, but uh, you know, you get you learn from that too. So how did you, I mean, clearly you're very quick in the marathon, um, 50 mile range. How did that go from, like, I, I tend to differentiate ultra runners of like the speed gazelle ultra runners and then kind of the long distance specialists. So how did that background translate then into wanting to do a 1200 mile trail? Like that is, a, that's a big and different adventure. Um, so I'd love to hear how you got through or went through that process yeah um <laughs> so <laughs> i've had success at like 50k 50 miles i still cannot figure out the 100k um it just it's a distance of that i think i've only finished one of maybe four 100ks now that i've started 
um, just different medical reasons and stuff. But then um, I get to 100 miles, and I think 100 miles is extremely fun. Um, and so for me, like 100 miles is always like I'm having a fun day out in the woods with, you know, 300 to 500 of my closest friends. So here we go. Um, but then for something like the Ice Age Trail, it was basically like I am bored at home because of COVID and I need something to do. So let's go do this. Awesome. Is it something you had kind of in a back pocket dream list or something that you just one day we're looking up trails and stumbled upon it? Um, so I do quite a bit of training on the Southern Kettle Moraine section of it. And so for me, I've always kind of wanted to see the whole trail, but um, realistically with a normal year of racing and everything, like it just wouldn't be possible to do that unless that was just the main focus of the year. So um, I had planned on maybe like 2025, somewhere in there, maybe looking at taking a year off of uh, some races and going to do it. But it, I don't know. This just ended up being the the perfect time to do it. I, I mean, I, I totally get the logic because I've done uh, a lot of the similar races, like the North Face. I think the 50-mile, I think the 50-milers on, on that trail, maybe it's the Kettle 100 that has some of it. Um, Both. Okay. I, yep. Are you... This might sound really dumb. Are you sick of kettles? Are you like, um, damn no. it, I'm so sick of these little, because they're like little waves almost, right? I mean. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> not sick of them yet, but it's. Uh, <laughs> After the whole Ice Age trail. <laughs> it's definitely interesting, though, because there isn't a ton of elevation gain throughout the whole Ice Age trail. But, I mean, you're going either slightly up or slightly down uh for most of it it totally it, it beats you up i mean just as little descents and climbs i mean let's hear about when you actually pulled the trigger on ice age trail and were i mean had you done eco challenge I, i'm trying to figure out the timeline here you had already done eco challenge right and yeah, then, Eco Challenge was, no, was September of last year. Can we talk about that? Just, yeah, a little bit. Just yeah. generally? I don't want to get you in trouble. Sure. Um, why did you sign up for that? Um, that is a great question. And so I didn't, I mean, I remember watching it on TV a little bit back in, you know, 11 years ago or whatever. Yeah. Um, but, like, I... Once again, I never thought that I'd be doing something like that. And so I'm just on Instagram one day and I see that I have a new message. So I open it up and it was a dude named Cliff. And he's like, hey, they're bringing back Eco Challenge. It's going to be in Fiji. Fiji's beautiful. Oh, by the way, I'm trying to put together the first all African-American team to race an Eco Challenge. Would you That's be interested awesome. in it? And... And I was like looking up pictures of Fiji and thinking like, <laughs> like, yeah, you know, Fiji doesn't look too bad. And like, when else am I ever going to go to Fiji? Cause I mean, I didn't even know where it was. Um, and so I'm like, mm, I'll think about it. And he's like, well, 
just so you know, like I have a couple other teammates that want to race. And so he's like, we, we just need you and then we can race. And I'm like, Oh great. Now you're guilting me into doing this. And like, <laughs> I'm like, all right, we're going to Fiji then. Um, so we put in our application for the race and then last February we found out we were accepted. Um, and it was actually really funny because I was I was racing in Hong Kong is like my first international race with the North face as I'm getting an email like, Oh, you guys are in for eco challenge. And I'm like, Oh boy, like what is this year going to (laughs) be? That's, I mean, isn't part of the fun traveling, meeting different people from like different cultures that all have this common bond. Like it's just, I don't know. It reminds me of UTMB. I know, Alyssa, you do a lot of international racing. It's just like, it's so weird that we can have such different backgrounds and then we all show up to these races and we're like one in the same pretty much. Totally. Yeah. And so, yeah. Um, yeah. I'm like, all right, here we go. Uh, guess we're going to do eco challenge. And so then, uh, they start sending out like a list of requirements that you need to be able to race. And I'm like, oh, I have a lot of new skills to learn. <laughs> um, uh, your biking yeah. background, your swimming background, I mean, your your triathlon background has to be a huge benefit to you. But had it, it, it had been a few years, right? So you had to dust we, off those those muscles. Yeah, yeah like the la- the last time I think I actually rode a bike would have been like a year ago before we applied for this thing. And I just remember riding to the bakery and back, like that's all I did. So it had been years before I was actually, you know, had been training on a bike and swimming. Um, but then you also have like different rock climbing certifications. You have to get wilderness first aid and CPR, uh, swift water and river rescue. Um, just, a bunch of things like that. And then you also have ocean navigation, jungle navigation, and yeah, just things that I never thought that I'd even be doing. Whoa. And that's just a race. You yep. have to go through so, all of that. Wow. You, you have to go through quite a few of those. And so like, luckily there are certain things that you only have to have two team members that are able, that are like skilled in, I guess. And then others, all four have to be. And so like, yeah, it's it's a lot of work just getting to the start. I had no idea. And, and Does, go ahead, Rob. Sorry. No, I was, I was just going to say, like, for the listener that's like, what the heck are they talking about? Eco challenge, Corey. What's what's kind of like the thirty thousand foot view of eco challenge? Because I've dreamt about it since I was a little kid, so I obviously know what it is. But for the listeners that are totally clueless on this, what is it? Yeah, so it is about a 500-mile adventure race that you do with four four people on a team plus one crew person. And it includes everything from trekking and orienteering and mountain biking to sailing, rappelling, rafting, canoeing, kayaking, just all kinds of amazingly difficult sports. Um, and once the clock starts, then the race starts and, yeah, you don't finish till your full team crosses the finish line. Wow. So how, when you were building all of these skills, is that something that you had to go out and find the courses to take, or is that something they helped you, um, to do just from a curiosity of, of being interested in eco challenge? 
Yeah, so you go out and find the courses that you want to take. Oh, there are wow. certain, so there are certain ones that they say, like, you you absolutely need to take this one. Um, right. But that's only, I think that might have been the Jungle Navigation course, or I didn't have to take that one, so uh, that that was good. But then, um, like, your other stuff, like your Swift Water Rescue and uh, climbing and all that, like, you have to either find one in your area or find some place that your team can all meet and have a instructor that can go through all the things that um, that you need to know for Eco Challenge. And then the instructor has to sign off on it saying, like, yes, every team member completed this. And so... Um, like that's a lot of pressure on instructors also, as you know, you could be taking a group of people that have never done this specific sport before and telling them, oh yeah, you'll be fine to do this once you get to Fiji and you're going to be somewhere that you've never been before. And who knows, you could be doing this on, you know, two hours of sleep in the last four days and it's in the middle of the night. (laughs) So how did you find fitting in all of these, um, specific trainings with your own run training? Like, how did you balance that? Uh, not very well. (laughs) 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 So, um, classic. Yeah. So I set up like a really aggressive, like first five to six months of last year for just running. And so because of that, I wasn't actually in the country for quite a bit of that time. And so I really couldn't practice a lot of these sports and stuff that I needed to. Um, And then I went out to Broken Arrow and was going to race all three things out there. But I was like, oh, it's perfect because, you know, I'll already be really close to Lake Tahoe. So now I can do some paddle boarding and I can do some kayaking and stuff after these three days of races. And I ended up just passing out after the vertical kilometer and ended up in the ER. And yeah, and so they do my blood work and a bunch of tests and everything. And they're like, you're fine. And it's like, well, healthy people don't just pass out, you know, like there has to be something going on. And it is really funny because the doctor goes, have you ever had a panic attack? And I'm like, no, I've never had a panic attack. And I'm like, honestly, I'm traveling and training and racing for the North Face. Like, my life is not stressful. So so I'm like, I wasn't, like, stressed about the race or I wasn't panicked about the race. And he goes, well, you brought up that your life isn't stressful. So he's like, maybe you're stressed. And then I go, I'm not stressed. And he's like... He's like, did you hear how you just said that? He's like, did you hear the tone in your voice? I was like, huh. I was like, maybe, you know, maybe it is the travel aspect of it was stressful while still trying to run anywhere from 80 to 100 miles a week. Like, that could be stress on the body. But, like, mentally, I wasn't stressed. So. He saved you a lot of money on therapy. They just nailed it right out of the gates. Like. (laughs) (laughs) Well. It was just funny because they're like, you need to take a few weeks off of running. And they're like, we'll put you on one of those like 24-7 heart rate monitors so you can wear it. And like, they're like, I don't think we're going to find anything on it, though. But if you want to, you can. So I did. And like everything came back completely fine. All good. Um, And so, yeah, they're just like, you need to slow down. I'm like, well, I don't get to slow down because I still have Eco Challenge coming up in September. And so they're like, all right, good luck with that. And then you need to slow down. So, yeah, uh, I apparently didn't handle the training for everything very well, but I did take the rest of June off and part of July, 
and then just built in a bunch of cycling and some paddling sports and stuff through the rest of July and August and then flew to Fiji to race. So for for the Eco Challenge, do you have a camera person like on you at all times? Like do you essentially know your camera guy's name at this point or were they very um, like standoffish kind of in the background zoom lens watching so, observing <laughs> so in some portions they are very much in your face and then other times they're a little bit more uh standoffish but you don't get to talk to them during it so like um so like there's you don't really know your cameraman and you they switch out because i mean they have to go through all the things that you have yeah. to go through <laughs> with the camera. Yeah. Uh, and that's, so, that's cool. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's, I was like, but I was wearing a microphone the whole time, like the whole race. Um, so that's definitely interesting. That would be yeah. awkward. Oh my God. Yeah. Do you feel like that took away from the wild aspect of it? Like, did it feel more um, contrived, I guess, for better lack of a better word or did you feel very much into the adventure of it and the the challenge of it um i think that after probably the first like 12 hours you just forget that you're wearing a mic or have cameras around (laughs) um yeah (laughs) so it still felt extremely wild and it was extremely wild there's nothing like putting squirrels nut butter on in front of a cameraman and forgetting there's a cameraman there, like... <laughs> yeah, no joke. Um, <laughs> many times, actually. Just being like, oh, sorry. Um, I, I can't wait to watch the whole thing. It comes out, I think, pretty soon. I think in, what is it, like August 14th? Is that right? Yep. On Amazon? Yep. Oh, I can't wait to see it. Honestly, I, I almost don't want to wa- ask you any more questions on it, because I want to kind of explore it, but... Yeah, I mean, well, that's about all I could tell you anyway, though, so. <laughs> that's that's a good segue right there. You can't legally tell me anymore, so. Um, let's, let's shift over to the Ice Age Trail, because, I mean, I was getting updates probably daily, and I wasn't watching it, like, super closely just because it was, it was difficult, and I feel like the story was kind of segmented. Um, but But walk me through kind of, night before doing this just crazy distance i mean it i guess what was the longest run you had done prior and and tell me about like night before going after this amazingly large goal hmm. the longest run i did before this um i don't know maybe the Maybe like way too cool 50k in March. Um, yeah, I think. But yeah, you've, I think you've done 100 milers and yeah, I mean, bigger efforts. Like, but like, other than Eco Challenge, the only like longer race I did last year was Ultra Trail Mount Fuji in April of 2019. Um, like, I didn't run a 50 miler last year, even. So that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Now, <laughs> Do you feel the Eco Challenge, um, that longer effort, helped you get in the mindset for Ice Age and just helped build your skills of being out there? Absolutely. Um, maybe not necessarily physically so much, but definitely mentally. Um, 
Yeah, because I mean, at Eco Challenge, there's just no stopping. And so, um, so yeah, I would definitely say that mentally it helped. Um, but yeah, so I think my longest run is probably like way too cool. No, I dropped out of Black Canyon this year, but I made it to 60K. So like 60K is the longest distance that I had been on my feet since April of last year. Okay. Um, yeah. That race got so, hot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, it did. Um, um, what do you, what's going through your head though? You put your head down on the pillow, like you're about to embark on just pretty much the unknown for the most part. I mean, what's going through your head? Um, not a lot really, because since it is so much unknown, you can't really be stressed about it. Like you don't know what it's going to feel like and you don't know how it should feel. So because of that, like, uh, for me, it was like, I'm going to fall asleep and I'm going to wake up in the morning and. I'm just going to start on something. I have no idea what I'm doing. Embrace the unknown. I love it. I love it. I love it. Like my crew, my crew, they were all like not able to sleep, like fall asleep right away. And they're like the first people up in the morning. And like, they were all, you know, nervous and excited for it. And I'm just like, yeah, we're going out for a, for a decently long run today. And then I guess we're going to have to do it again and again and again and keep on doing it. This this is where my co-host is going to be a lot stronger at asking questions than I am because I've done 250 miles, but I haven't done the day after day after day kind of repetition. Um, Alyssa, like, what what questions do you have on how he starts this? Yeah, well, my first question was, you're saying kind of just day after day. Did you go into it with like a sleep plan? Um, with an idea of how many miles you wanted to cover a day, or was it kind of just see how far I can get each day before I need to stop? Um, so I wanted to make sure that I was getting at least six hours of sleep a night. And to do that, I figured that I would probably either like, I was planning to be on the trail for about 12 hours a day, maybe a little bit longer, um, and wanted to be covering like 55 to 60 miles a day. Um, and so I knew on certain sections that wouldn't be possible. And then other sections you could cover quite a bit more than that. So yeah, it was just like, let's make sure I'm getting six hours of sleep a night was the main goal. So you weren't going for, um, like utter sleep deprivation, one hour per night, um, kind of deal. Mm, Uh, no, that was definitely not the plan to start. And it, became that but um but yeah like i i wanted to play it smart on the side of rest and recovery to start this thing just because the first half of it is yeah the first third of it is just pretty gnarly trail and then it opens up where there are quite a few more like road or rail trail sections that um end up making it so you can just cover a lot of distance on those days so Figured may as well rest when I could and then know that in the last probably third, there's not going to be a ton of sleep. Gotcha. So what happened? You said that towards the end that changed. Um, what caused that change and what was the change? Um, yeah. So I rolled my ankle on day five oh, and uh, by day 10, uh, my ankle was basically the size of a baseball. And so 
were out here like, well, this is the problem that we have. And I had only been able to walk for like five days at this point. And as only getting in between like 28 to 35 miles or so on on those walking days. I mean, this is like 14, 15 hours a day of just walking. And so it was like, all right, like this isn't working, but it's what we're going to have to do. And I just kept bleeding out miles though. And on those days. And so by the time we were getting closer to about the final week, I'm like, I'm still a few miles down on course record pace. I was able to run again, but it was at that point where I'm like, okay, like we, we just don't get to sleep much and we have to just be going around the clock. So in the final like four days of this thing, we pulled two all-nighters, and then there was one day that I think we got maybe two and a half or three hours of sleep, and then there is another day that we got maybe maybe two hours. Wow. So that's a significant difference from, from where you were starting. Yeah. Um, and, and what was the goal time to beat? Like, what was that um, previous FKT? Um, the men's record was 22 days, eight hours. The overall record was 21 days, uh, 18 hours. Um, and like, I honestly felt like it's something that should be able to be done in 18 days. And I, I still think it can be done in 18 days. I think you can actually go maybe 17 something if you really push it. Um, but when things start to fall apart out there, then they can really fall apart. Yeah, no, they definitely can. Um, how did you roll your ankle? Just in a section that was like probably shin deep mud with another six inches of water on top of it, just not being able to see what I was stepping on. Um, but going through like a five mile stretch of that. Oh, that sounds yeah, horrible. I mean, oh, yeah, I, like, I want to hear more about what makes you continue. Because I mean, yeah, a lot of people... Something. For sure. Especially the pressure of being a North Face athlete, you know, social media is a buzz with your attempt. Like, what what pushes you forward to keep going when you could easily be like, you know what, this just wasn't an ideal start. I'm gonna just try it over again next year. Yeah. Um, so I was also raising money for Feeding America, and so like just having that fundraiser there was also kind of a nice little motivation to keep going. But then the other thing was, like, I've had enough DNFs in the last year or so where I'm like, I, I don't care how bad this ankle gets. If it's not broken, I can push through the pain and keep on going. Nice. That's you're determined. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. And so, like, there are honestly days where I was out there just, like, counting to 10 over and over in my head. Because, like, you can do anything for 10 seconds at a time. You can do anything for 10 steps at a time. But there are days where it was, like, hours of just counting to 10, being like, I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't need a pacer. I'm just going to be out here, be inside my own head, and I'm going to move forward 10 seconds at a time. I mean, did you find yourself out there doing that, like, alone? counting to 10, you know, you're out there sometimes hallucinating. You're probably dealing with sleep deprivation, just accumulated fatigue. Like, did you have moments of like deep reflection or was it just trying to get through? Uh, you know, honestly, I think for me, it was one of those things where I was just, I was actually really happy doing what I was doing. Um, 
Like, it's the most pain I've ever been in for many days. And then just having to, like, wake up and know that, like, as soon as my feet would hit the ground in the morning, the pain would start and it wouldn't stop until I'd go to bed. But, like, oddly enough, that just sounded fun. It's funny how, yeah, those things are weirdly and oddly fun. Um, Quick question, though. How do you see or what do you see as the long-term benefits of this? Like you said, you'd had a lot of DNFs before. Do you think that this will be something you can dig into in the future? And also, what did your coach, um, you said it was Jason Coop, what does yeah. he think of, of this and uh, what what you can gain and take into your training in the future? Yeah. Um, for me, yes. Uh, I would say that I now don't think a hundred miles is necessarily that far, um, which it still is a long distance, but like in my head, a hundred miles doesn't seem that far. And Wait, is this, I, are you, am I talking to the like speed, speed goat or no, <laughs> no but it's, I love it's it. just, it's one of those things now where I feel like I can actually race a hundred miles rather than just That's go awesome. out and have like a fun day in the mountains or a fun day in the woods. Like I think that, I can actually race it and I'll know that, yeah, you know, this pain could last for 14, 15, 16 hours, whatever, but it's not 14, 15, 16 days. And so because of that, uh, I'm really excited to get out there and try to lay down a good 100 mile race on a decently hard course. So, um, yeah, I'm pumped for that. And I think that's something I'll be able to take with me for quite a while. Um, as for my coach, uh, Jason, he was thrilled about it because he's like, I think that you finally have just kind of like broken through that to that next level of like, yes, we know you have potential and we know you've had good things. But now he's like, I think you'll see that you can do so much more than you already have. I love it. Awesome. How you like yeah. break through that mental barrier and you're just, it, you feel like your whole perspective shifts, right? I mean... Yeah, absolutely. Havilene is going to be an interesting race for you. I I truly think it could be a breakthrough moment for you. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, Take me back, and I know we jumped a little bit ahead, but you pushed. And when I messaged you for, for the interview initially, it was like, I gained so much respect for you pushing so hard to finish this. Like the last... Was it three days for you? Was just like really, really pushing the envelope. Is that right? Yeah, the last three to four days were just a giant push. I think I had 275 miles to go with a little bit less than four days on the clock. Um, and to get this done, I like I I had to run a hundred and like 158 miles or whatever in. I needed to finish those in like under 44 hours or something. I think I ran 38 something uh, for those miles. And the only time I stopped was for a 20 minute power nap in the back of the van. That's amazing. And so so people are like, you're doing what on your final like two days of this? And like, I don't know, that's what I have to do. Like, it's not like that's what needs to be done to get the record. And so somehow I found a way to just dig that deep and keep on pushing. Um, and it was like one of those just kind of 
for me, that was probably one of the biggest breakthrough moments out there. Because I believe I covered like 105 miles in like that 24-hour period and then still have had 18 hours to cover the 58 miles or whatever. That's amazing with that much accumulated fatigue. I mean, so I have two two really important questions. One, one is on food and one is on hallucinations. I can't talk about running this long and not hear the most hilarious uh, food or hallucination story. Let's start with hallucinations i mean did it get weird like were you just seeing crazy stuff at all throughout this uh ice age trail or um was your sleep regulated well enough that you weren't seeing anything uh i don't think i was seeing anything too crazy uh so the only like bigger thing was this is still kind of early on probably day maybe day four day four or five um there there were two bears that I saw out on the trail, but like from 50 meters away, it it just looked like two people sitting down having a picnic or whatever. And then from like 25 meters out, it looked like a tree stump. And then (laughs) I realized, Oh, like these are two bears here. So like maybe that day I was a bit sleep deprived and, (laughs) and it was just funny because I'm like, Oh, like I'm coming downhill as the bears are still just on the side of the trail. And I'm like, well, this isn't going to be good. And so luckily they saw me and looked at me and then they ran up the side of the hill. And so I got through, but what I didn't realize is that if I would have like scared them to go say down the trail, um, my crew was maybe a quarter mile down the trail somewhere, um, at the trail at the next trailhead, I guess. And so like that could have been a very interesting situation, you know, chasing two bears down the hill and two into my crew. It's it's bad when the bears are more lucid than you are. Um, that's I I've seen tree stumps that have looked like bears. I've never seen the opposite. That is like next level, Corey. I'll yeah. work on that one, man. Yeah. And then, so go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that was just a that was a really funny moment. And oh well, like it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. it's a good story, and you made it through. Um, how how did you do on calories? I mean, this is nonstop and you're pushing yourself. I mean, you had to be eating what every hour on the hour, like just constant flow of calories. Yeah, that's how I like to do it. So, um, 6,000 to 8,000 calories a day is what I was taking in. And, um, I would say that I did quite well on it cause I weighed myself before the FKT. Then I weighed myself, uh, like a day or two, whenever we got home. So like two days after I finished, I guess. Um, and I had only lost two pounds. Wow. Spot on. Wow. That's crazy. And so like it was, uh, the food aspect was interesting though, because, you know, I had hoped that we'd be able to do like a breakfast every day, have like a lunch out on the trail every day and then like grill for dinner somewhere. And like this plan would be amazing. (laughs) And like that, we got the grill out maybe twice. Um, And so like this plan was falling apart on the breakfast, lunch, dinner side. And we just had to do whatever was close and was ever available. But um, during this FKT, my like biggest prep was trying to figure out like what canned food I could bring with me that I know would sit well in my stomach no matter what. So here I am going to like, 
Kroger or whatever and buying multiple canned foods and then just opening that opening them and eating them cold because I'm like, we're not going to be able to heat them up. So whatever it is has to be good cold out of a can. So SpaghettiOs with meatballs was like <laughs> one just one food that seemed to always work for me. And then the other one is like condensed chicken and stars soup. Um, and so like two things that I definitely don't want anything to do with right now, but they worked. <laughs> and then we were also doing crispy chicken sandwiches from quick trip gas station, cheeseburgers from quick trip. And, um, those like chocolate covered rice, crispy treats from quick trip. Quick, quick, quick trip. Sounds like a potential sponsor here. I mean, that would be nice. <laughs> It, did you have trouble finding anything? Because this is during COVID. Yeah, I mean, you got you got people like just stashing thousands of cans of condensed star soup or whatever. Um, like, did you have things that you were like, I need this, and your crew comes back and like, Corey, like they just they're out of basically everything. Uh no. So luckily, we actually bought the canned food ahead of time and brought it up with us. Um, and so like I figured out what I thought I'd need for the trip and, uh, that worked out. And then for quick trip, it was just like every morning at 6am or whatever, when we're going to the gas station before heading to the trail, uh, we had just walk in and literally buy all of their crispy chicken sandwiches and cheeseburgers and breakfast croissants and, um, their rice crispy treats and walk out with them. I, I mean, video of that, the, the guy that's selling you it, his mind's just totally blown. Yeah, and it had like, to be it was, money. <laughs> oh, we there's there are some videos of that that will be shown later, and um, I just remember one day specifically when I walked in and like my crew hadn't even come in with me yet, and I'm just like I didn't want to get a basket, but I'm like oh there's a bunch of them here, so I'm just like hoarding them in my arms and then like putting them on the counter, and they're looking at me like. Uh, what are you doing with all of these? <laughs> like, I'm running. So, yeah. Alyssa, now, do, you, did, do you have anything well, else? Well, I was going to say, did you use any, um, I guess, runner nutrition while you were out there? Or was it primarily all, you know, whole food, real food um, fueling? And did uh, that change throughout the, the tra- air trail? I shouldn't say race. <laughs> Yeah, no. So those were the same things I use just every day. Um, Yeah, for three weeks straight, that's what I ate. And it was just funny because I knew what I was going to have. And like, if I'd see my crew and I knew I'd see them within the hour, then I'd only get one sandwich to go in my hydration pack. If I knew it may be like two or three hours, then I'd go out with two or three sandwiches. And um, yeah, like sometimes animal crackers, sometimes um, goldfish, but like... Yeah, just super, super basic and the same things every day. I mean, what what was going through your head when you finished? I mean, it's it's fun to talk about the hallucinations and food and everything, but like what what was going through your head when you're on mile, you know, the last mile? Like, was it emotional or were you so drained that it was like, let's just get this over with because you made that final push? Tell me about the finish line. Yeah, so I had two two or three of my crew and pacers there that were running with me for the last, like, seven-mile stretch. Um, and 
it was funny because I I thought it was shorter from the time you enter the town of Sturgeon Bay to the basically the top of the rock. Um, and they're like, oh yeah, it's only three miles, but oh. that wasn't that wasn't exactly true. It was like three miles through town, plus you still have four miles in the park. And so um, I'm like, oh, this is going to be fine. Like, no big deal. We'll get this over with. And it was taking forever. And so, I can't imagine four miles. Oh. And so I, I was not super thrilled um, on this last little four-mile stretch or whatever once I got into the park. And I just kept asking my crew, I'm like, how much farther is this thing? They're like, oh, well, now you have three miles. I'm like, but I had three miles, like four miles ago. <laughs> like, <laughs> what is going on? And so it was starting to get dark. And I was like, okay, I really just want to get to the finish now. And I was moving rather slow, I would say. And it started to rain when we were maybe about a half mile away from the finish and so here i am it's pretty much dark it's raining i didn't have a headlamp with me and i'm like this is stupid like i really just want to be done and so luckily (laughs) i could see like car lights up at the top so i'm like okay we are close like this will be good and so i went back to being super happy about being almost done but then i get into the park i mean i get like probably a quarter mile away now at this point. And I see that there are actually a lot of cars there. And um, I guess people are following on like social media, um, the live stream of the finish or whatever. And people that lived in the town and people that lived in the area that had either helped us with supplies along the way or whatever actually came out to the finish. And so at the finish, uh, they're probably... 30 people just scattered around the finishing area to cheer for me as I got into the park, uh, at, into the finish area. So like, that was really awesome and took my mind off of the fact that the last few miles are a lot longer than I thought they were. <laughs> that, I mean, that's amazing. Any race beyond a hundred miles to have more than like 10 people clapping is you basically finished in a Super Bowl stadium of, yeah. of uh, trail running beyond a hundred miles. That's, that's really cool. Yeah, it was it was awesome. Now, how did the next day feel? Um, Because when you know, when you've been running is your life, like that's what you have just been focusing on. How did you cope with the next few days? Did you feel like something was missing? Like, were you relieved? Um, So the next morning when I woke up, I I woke up at probably five forty five. And like had a minor freak out moment because I thought that we were late for getting back out onto the trail. Um, and so like oh. when I first woke up that next morning, like I didn't realize that I had set the FKT. Like I was just like, we have to go like trying to wake up my husband. I'm like, we're late. Like you're normally up before me. Why aren't you up? Like we need to go. We have things to do. And he's like, you have the FKT. Like what else do you have to do? <laughs> Where's my chicken sandwich? I'm ready to go. (laughs) (laughs) It was just, it was so funny because I'm like, oh, I guess we do have it. Like, okay, I can go back to bed then. And so went back to bed. But then I had a couple uh, media things I had to do that next morning. So we went to breakfast and um, like it was, it just felt weird to be basically just sitting around 
after not having much time to sit around in the in the previous three weeks. Um, and so it was, I guess that was the hard part because I still wanted to be out moving, but yet I was extremely happy to be done. But I mean, waking up feeling like I needed to be on the trail still went on for another probably three days until it finally actually sunk in. Wow. So your mind was definitely still there for a little while. Yeah. And then the other craziest part about it, though, was the sleeping aspect of it, because I had to pull an all-nighter earlier on, and then in the last, you know, three, two of the last three nights were all-nighters. And so, like, my sleep was just so messed up that uh, I was, like, falling asleep mid-afternoon. Like, 2 o'clock would hit, and I would fall asleep for two or three hours and just be completely out. No one could wake me up. But then I'd wake up, and I'm like, all right, here we go, like, ready to go about the day. And then I would be wide awake until, like, 2, 3, 4 a.m. And so, and so, but that went on for almost almost three weeks of just not being able to get on any sort of a normal sleep schedule and um, not, yeah, like that was the hardest part. Yeah, no, I, I can't even imagine. Um, how, how did your body feel? Like how was walking up and down the stairs just doing everyday movements? How long did that take to, uh, to get back to normal? Assuming they're back to normal at this point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that uh, that took quite a while. Um, the, the biggest issue I had was the ankle, but then also my shins were just, like, so beat up from this. Because, uh, like, the ligament that you use to, like, raise and lower your foot, uh, both of those are inflamed. And so, like, because of that, like, both of my legs just hurt. Just any time I did anything, it just hurt. And so... Uh, that, that feeling probably took maybe two weeks before that kind of went away. But then the other really funny part is I got just the worst blisters I've ever had on my feet and I didn't get them until seven miles until the finish. Oh man. (laughs) And so like, we just went through a really, really, really wet section for like two days of just feet being completely soaked And I was like, you know what? It's okay. Like I'm switching out shoes and socks, no big deal. But then for whatever reason, it's seven miles to go. Like I had to take my shoes and socks off and I looked down and I was just like, I've never seen anything like this before. And so the blisters and just like skin falling off my feet, uh, that took three to four weeks to just kind of go back to anything normal. Did, did Coop have you do like 10 miles the following day? Was he like... Corey, no excuses, man. Get out. Like, we're back on 100-mile weeks. Like, No, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's actually really funny because he uh, he's like, you don't need to do anything. I'm like, but I want to do something. And he's like, great, you can run, like, 30 minutes three times a week then if you really want to do something. <laughs> so, like, the first week, I didn't do anything. Like, didn't do anything that first week the second week i think i ran like nine miles or something uh total and it was like oh yeah like i i would be tired you know 10 minutes into the run so like all right not recovered and don't need to be the third week back i maybe hit 15 miles for the week and i was just like you know that's uh that's gonna be my highest mileage week of july i think and i'm totally fine with that 
Um, and right now I'd say that my beers per day is still higher than my miles per day that I'm running. So yeah, that is a the, great the core, measure. The Corey ratio. <laughs> yeah. And I, I honestly don't know that that's going to change anytime soon. Well, I, I hope you recover well. And that's, that's a hilarious way to, uh, come to a finish here i mean Corey, you're you're well known on social media but i want to make sure if the listener isn't following you they can where where can we follow you on social yeah uh, i'm probably most active on instagram so Corey Wolfring on instagram uh i do have a blog that i don't ever update so um <laughs> so yeah instagram <laughs> no need best. for that one and and we'll <laughs> yeah. we're, we're working on a new website if you want to ever uh, contribute an article you're more than welcome and just really appreciate you taking all the time and sharing your stories with us cool yeah and thank you guys for having me on thanks a lot Corey. it's great to talk with you yeah awesome big thank you to Corey for taking so much of his time thank you as always to Alyssa for co-hosting and big shout out to the sponsors hammer nutrition exoskin Kogala, Destination Trail, and you Patreon supporters. Have a great week. Don't forget to enjoy your training. See ya.